This morning we are looking at 1 Kings 2, 1 through 12. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you also know that Joab the son of Zeruah did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner the son of Ner and Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and sandals on his feet. Act, therefore, according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace, but deal loyally with the sons of Brazilii the Gileite. Let them be among those who eat at your table. For with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother, and there was also with you Shimei, the son of Gara, the Benjaminite from Baru, who caused me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahanam. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him and you shall bring his gray head down with the blood to Sheol. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron, 33 years in Jerusalem. Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Thank you. Well, welcome to youth group. If uh, you're new to Cole, you may have not seen my face before. I'm Jim Brown. I'm the youth pastor here at Cole Community Church, and it is just an honor and a privilege to be able to come and and share the word with you this morning. Uh, If you have not done so already, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 2 for our, our message this morning. But before we get started in that, I want to take a little raise of the hand survey. I would love to know How many of you know what I mean when I talk about binge-watching? Binge-watching. If you're a Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, you know what I'm talking about right now, right? You, You sit down and you just start watching a show and you just go through it over and over and over again. I, uh, I, I hate to admit this in front of you, but uh, last summer, I, I began watching a show on Amazon, and it's called Jack Ryan, right? It is uh, them reprising the, the story by Tom Clancy about Jack Ryan, and, and it, it, it is an intense show. I mean, 
It, I mean, there is action, there's suspense, there's everything that is going on in this show, and it's just constant over and over and over. And I was watching this show, and finally, I, I, it came all the way to the very last episode. And I couldn't take any more. I was just like, I can't handle it any longer. There's just too much. So I just turned it off, and I didn't watch it. And I went two months. <laughs> two months it finally took me to be able to say, okay, I think I am able to disassociate myself with my emotions in this story so that I can actually finish it off. Right? And there's a great thing that they do when they, they come to these shows. And what it is, is they have a part on the very beginning where it's like, previously on. Right? And they, they go through and, and, you're, and, and they, they kind of flash back to previous episodes to, to really catch you up with the things that are happening in the story. And if you don't spend a lot of time going through the Old Testament, and if you haven't recently read through, let's say, 2 Samuel... You, you may be, through our scripture reading this morning, hearing a lot of names, and you have no idea who they are, right? And I, so I think this morning, if you will bear with me, I want to hit a little bit of a previous on with you, and I'll try to make it interesting as possible. I mean, some of you really didn't like history class because it got droned on and on like uh, you know, Ferris Bueller's teacher, you know, Bueller, Bueller. I try not to do that with you this morning, but I think it's really important for us to really get an understanding of what is happening in the Scripture. We, we really need to, to, to visit some of these people that we're talking about. And the very first person that we really come in contact with is this guy named Joab. Joab is a very difficult character to, to kind of get your hands around in the Bible because Joab, as you read about him, he does so many great things for David. Joab is David's general. He is in charge of the armies uh, of Israel during David's kingdom. And he, he, he's, he's actually a family member of David. He's more than likely he's, he's David's nephew. And he's fiercely loyal to David. He always, always sticks by David's side, no matter what is going on. Except that Joab likes his power. And he will do whatever it takes to keep that power. And so we, we, re, we read, just read a little bit about how Joab had killed two people in times of peace. And those two people, one of them's name is Abner. Now I want to take you back a little bit. David's kingdom is really marked by two big civil wars. The first one being after Saul had died, uh, David came up and he assumed his, his uh, God-ordained role as king of Judah. And he took the throne. But Saul's house, Saul's son, he wasn't going to let go of his, his, his kingdom so easily. So a guy named Ishbosheth, say that three times fast, okay? Ishbosheth, he was the king over Israel. And for eight years, there was a civil war between them. And they fought and they fought for, for control of, of the entire land. And eventually, uh, a, a man named Abner, who was the general of the, Israel's army, so he was, he was loyal to Ishbosheth, he turned his allegiance away near the end of that civil war. He says, I can't follow him any longer. I am going to give my allegiance to David. And when he did that, 
it really upset Joab. The reason it set Joab so bad is, number one, like I said, Joab is power-hungry. He doesn't want to give up control. And number two, Abner killed Joab's brother. Follow along with me. Abner killed Joab's brother in a battle. And Joab never forgave him. And so when Abner came over to David, David said, I will take you, you will work with me, you can be a part of my army. So he sent him out on a mission, and Joab took advantage of this, and and when Abner was leaving, he sent a message and said, I need you to come back to Hebron, because I have to deliver a message to you. And when he did that, he met him at at the gate of the city, and when he went to go and embrace him, instead of giving him a hug, he gave him a sword into the stomach. And he murdered him right there at the gates. And David did nothing. David did nothing about it. But I said there's a second civil war. So, so many years down the road, David has a son, and we talked about him a little bit last week. His name is Absalom. Absalom rebelled against David and took over the throne. And, and, uh, and one of the, the generals, again, a general named Amasa, served for Ab- uh, Absalom. And, 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 and David is leaving, and uh, he, he, he goes and he runs, and eventually there's a, a short civil war. Absalom is defeated, and Absalom really, he's murdered by Joab. Here's another one that they actually don't talk about here. He's murdered by, by Joab, Absalom is, David's son. But at the end of the war, to, for, for David to kind of bring the country back together again politically, he makes Amasa the, the general of the armies. And he says, you're going to be in charge of these things. And Joab, again, didn't like that. And so Joab calls for a meeting between the two generals and and their armies. And as they're they're meeting together, Joab has it so situated that his, his sword that's on his side falls out of its sheath and lands on the ground right before he's about to meet Amasa. And he picks up the sword as if, oh, this is just an accidental thing to happen, grabs the sword, and he, and he takes Amasa by the beard to go and kiss him with a greeting. And what does he do? He stabs him in the stomach and murders him in the street. That's Joab. But David was fiercely loyal to him and never, ever sent him away, never dealt with Joab. And so there's, there's one story that we have to have here. But then we got a couple more people that, that we need to talk about. And one of them's name is Shimei. Like I, like I said, there was the rebellion by Absalom, and, and David is, is running, and he, he had to leave so quickly. He had no supplies. He had nothing to be able to take care of him. And, he, and he's going on the run, and, and, he, and he goes through the Shimei city, Mahanaim. And, and as he's running away, uh, he, Shimei begins to, to, to yell curses at him. Blame, he says, the reason that you're going through this right now is because of what you did to Saul's house. And because of, the, of, of how much blood you have shed, God is judging you. And he begins to throw rocks at him and his men and throws dust at him and continues to heal curses at him. And David just says, you know what? Maybe he's right. Maybe I am being judged for this. I, maybe I did do wrong. Let him live. And he begins to go on. And, and Shimei just, just kicks David down when he's at the lowest part of, of, of his life. But later on down the road, Barzillai... He sees David, and he sees the, the situation that he's in, and, and David and his men are nearly to the point of starvation. 
they, they're, they're running on, on fumes, so to speak. And, and, uh, and he feeds him. And he takes care of his men and makes sure that he has everything that he needs to be able to continue on and to be able to survive throughout this civil war. So, and then finally, we have somebody that we talked about last week, and, and it's Adonijah. Now, Adonijah is, is, the, is who thought that they should take over the throne, as we talked about last week. He's the one who said, I should be sitting on the throne of Israel. But David's like, no, actually, it was God. God said that Solomon is to be the one who sits on this throne. And, and Adonijah is, is taken off the throne, and, and Solomon is put in his place. Are we, we good? Is everybody still with me? Are you awake? All right, we have this background, and, and that's, all that stuff's really important as we come to the end of our message. All these things are going to be brought back into life again. But here we are in, in 1 Kings chapter 2, and, and we have David in, in verse 1 saying, When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying... Now, if you can picture in your mind, this is, this is David on his, 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 his last day of life. He has nothing left. And in my mind, I was just thinking, like, what does this remind me of? And it reminds me, if any of you are Star Wars fans, Return of the Jedi, right? You have Yoda right there on his deathbed. And I ran across this picture, which is authentic. It says, now that I have children, I really understand the scene in Return of the Jedi where Yoda is so tired of answering Luke's questions, he just up and dies. (laughs) If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You're just done with it. No, but he's really, he, he's, he's, he's on his last breath. And this is the charge that he's giving Solomon before Solomon takes sole control of the throne. They've been kind of co-regents, co-kings for about the past year. And we all know Solomon, right? We've heard about the great things that Solomon has done. And, and in the coming weeks, we'll, we'll be able to discuss Solomon. But there's not a whole lot about Solomon that, that we get from, from before this moment. And I think for us to really understand where Solomon is coming from, we kind of have to go back and kind of figure out some things from Solomon of what we read here in the text. We kind of need his, his background. We need his origin story, if you're a, a Marvel fan. Right? We need to see where he's coming from. And if you remember back in, in, in Solomon's life, he, who's his parents? We obviously know it's David is one of his, his dad, but who's his mom? Bathsheba, right? How would you like to be able to tell that story about how your parents met? Right, mine is, my, my parents, right? My, my dad was traveling from, from, from Arizona, trying to make his way back up to Toronto, Canada. He ran out of money in a little town called Parma, Idaho, and, met in, and he was working in, in the farms, and he, and he met this lady in a coffee shop, and it was love ever after, man, happily ever after was my parents' story. My dad never made it back to Toronto. But, but he's like, you're sitting around, hey, 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 Solomon, how'd your parents meet? Well, well my, my dad saw my mom on a rooftop when she was taking a bath and brought her over and then had her husband murdered and then he took her as a wife like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> like, kind of the shame that you would have of, of the way that your, your parents got together is something that maybe he had to deal with when he, he's around his, his other brothers. 
he kind of had that shame. What else is there? He, um, he was very young. You know, most people put him at, at tops 20 years old when he came to the throne. Many people are thinking he could be at least 16 years old. So incredibly inexperienced, very young. And also, if you remember from last week, David's parenting style wasn't exactly really hands-on. Like, he, he really did kind of take a back seat and said, well, whatever happens, happens, I guess. And so, so not only is he young, but he's inexperienced and he's untrained. He never got to sit beside his dad and to be able to, to, to learn about what it takes to be a, a king. He's just kind of thrust onto this, this stage without knowing what is going on. And finally, you know, he, he's, he's probably not that ambitious. Because if you go back to chapter 1, who is it that's doing all of the work to get him on the throne? It's not him. It's his mom. Like, if you remember, like, Adonijah's like, I am the king, man. I see a hole. I'm going to feel it. I'm going to take over the throne. And he did everything he needed to to be able to become the king of Israel. And, and Solomon's kind of like, man, man, man. I guess, I guess that's fine. Whatever. But his mom's like, no. God made a promise that it was going to be Solomon on the throne and Solomon is going to be the one on the throne. So for him, he is almost is in every way unqualified. Almost in every way, he is unqualified to sit on this throne. And I want us to be able to think about ourselves through this and say, you know what? Am I really that qualified? Am I that qualified to be actually called a son or daughter of God? Am I actually qualified to be able to be a Christian? And the answer is really no. We're really not. Like if you, if you re, remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says this, Paul is writing to the church and he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He says, if you look at yourselves, according to the world, you're really not that great. And honestly, like if you do, like, hey, you really do think something about, like, you know, I am great at this thing, and I could really do some amazing things for God with this special talent that I have, more than likely, God's going to be like, nope, not going to use it. Sorry. Because it says that God uses our weaknesses, because in our weaknesses is his strength through us, right? One more, uh, Titus. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God didn't save you. God didn't make you a part of the family because of how great you are, not because of all the good things that you do. He saved you because he loved you. And he saw you in your weakness, and he saw you in, in, in your sin, and he saw you in the, the mire of your life. He says, I don't care. I want to love you, and I want to save you anyways. We're the unqualified. We're the unqualified. But just, as, just like God gave Solomon a job to do, 
He says, you are going to build the temple for me, Solomon. That is going to be your job. He gave him a purpose. He gave him meaning. He gave him a reason to, to, to be on this earth. God gives you meaning. God gives you reason. God gives you purpose. He wants to do amazing things through you. And it may not be standing up in front and sharing a message on Sunday morning. It may not be going overseas and sharing Christ with people. It may be God wants to use you exactly where you are as you are walking in this life, just trying to love him. That he wants, he wants you to do. Because, because Jesus says, Jesus says when he comes on this earth, his message was the kingdom of heaven is at hand right? The kingdom of heaven is here, and the kingdom of heaven is here because I am here. And everywhere that Jesus went, the kingdom of heaven invaded the world, and lives were transformed, and lives were changed because of his presence in people's lives. And the Bible says that the same Holy Spirit that came down and, and on Jesus during his baptism and filled him and empowered him and strengthened him for his ministry, that exact same Holy Spirit is the one that lives and resides in you today if you were a follower of Jesus Christ. And that same Spirit that did the work through Jesus is the same one that can strengthen you and can empower you and can make you the kingdom of heaven on this earth today. And he wants to do some amazing things with you for wherever God puts you in life. Martin Luther King, we just celebrated his, his birthday this last Monday. And I'm a podcast guy. I listen to podcasts all the time. Not a whole lot of music, it's just people talking as I'm driving along. And I was listening to a podcast this week, and they brought up a speech from Martin Luther King, and it wasn't I Have a Dream speech. It's called The Street Sweeper. He should sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. And that's what God's asking for you. Where are you at? What are you doing? What is the purpose meaning that he gave you in his life? And when you, you just find that meaning, give it everything you've got by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do it great. So this is Solomon. He's unqualified. But David's giving him this charge. He's saying, I've got a job for you. And here's some of the things that you need to live by. So if you'll join back with me in the passage, in verse 2 it says, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. He says to David, David says to Solomon, Solomon, this is going to be a hard task that you're going to have. This isn't going to be easy. There's going to be a lot of struggles, there's going to be a lot of challenges, and you're going to have to buck up, buddy. You're going to have to show yourself strong and be a man. Don't, you have to be, this is, he's getting real right here, speaking truth to him. It's going to be hard, and you have to be prepared for it. And how are you going to prepare for it? Number one, you've got to spend your time, and you've got to know your word. 
You've got to know your word because when you spend time in, in, in your word, he says, I, it is going to guide you, it is going to direct you, it is going to lead you, it is going to give you the strength that you need to be able to walk the walk that God is calling you to walk. You need to know it and you need to live the word. And he also says to him, you have to understand the promise as well. God made me a promise, Solomon. He said that, David, you, if your sons do what is right, and if they walk the walk they're supposed to walk, they are not going to lack to have a king on, uh, of Israel on the throne. You are always going to have a son on the throne if they do what they want. You have to live within the promises of God. And it's true for us as well. We have to live within the promises of God. That has to be our hope. That has to be our, our foundation. It has to be that sight that we set our eyes on when it, times are dark, when times are difficult, when times are hard. We look towards that goal and say, this are, these are the things that God has promised me. And I'm just going to share a couple of them with you this morning. Psalm 34, 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Another one, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. And finally, John 8, 1 through 12, 1, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We need to trust in the promises of God. I want to read to you a quick story to help illustrate this point. It's told by a man who was going through one of the most frightening yet uh, thought-provoking experiences of his life. He had been on a long flight. The first warning of the approaching problems came when the sign on the airplane flashed on, fasten your seatbelts. Then after a while, a calm voice said, we shall not be serving the beverages at this time as we are expecting a little turbulence. Please be sure to keep your seatbelt fastened. As he looked around the aircraft, it became obvious that many of the passengers were becoming apprehensive. Later, the voice of the announcer said, We are so sorry that we are unable to serve the meal at this time. The turbulence is still ahead of us. I hate flying. <laughs> I do. And then the storm broke. The ominous cracks of thunder could be heard even above the roar of the engines. Lightning lit up the darkening skies. And within moments, the great plane was like a cork tossed around on a celestial ocean. One moment, the airplane was lifted on terrific currents of air. The next, it dropped as if it were about to crash. The man confessed that he shared the discomfort and fear of those around him. He said, as I looked around the plane, I could see that nearly all the passengers were upset and alarmed. Some were praying. The future seemed ominous. And many were wondering if they would make it through the storm. And then, I suddenly saw a girl to whom the storm meant nothing. She had tucked her feet beneath her as she sat on her seat and was reading a book. 
Everything within her small world was calm and orderly. Sometimes she closed her eyes. Then she would read again. Then she would straighten her legs. But worry and fear were not in her world. When the plane was being buffeted by the terrible storm, when it lurched this way and that, as it rose and fell with frightening severity, when all the adults were scared half to death, that marvelous child was completely composed and unafraid. The man could hardly believe his eyes. It was not surprising, therefore, that when the plane finally reached its destination and all the passengers were hurrying to disembark, he lingered to speak to the girl whom he had watched for such a long time. Having commented about the storm and behavior on the plane, he asked why she had not been afraid. The sweet child replied, Sir, my dad's the pilot, and he's taking me home. Is God your pilot? Is he really your pilot right now in your life? So we have two things. Solomon's unqualified. He has to trust in the promises of God, that God is going to remain faithful to him. But we have this rest of this chapter, which, to be honest with you, is, is really kind of dark in reality. Uh, by the end of, of chapter 2, there's four dead people just so you know. And it's not one of those, oh, there's just four, there are people that we know that we talk about. And, and it really has to come with that, that verse that is at the end of, 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 of chapter 12. It said, I mean, in verse 12, it says, so Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Now, when we read stuff like what we're about to experience here in the next couple moments, we can say this is barbaric. It really is. For when, when a king comes to the throne, he has to remove and get rid of, by execution, those people who threaten his throne. And if we turned on the news today and, and heard about stories that happened like this, we would say that is horrific. But we have to understand that this is the history of the world. We live in a very special time where, where we can actually have a peaceful transition of power. It isn't but 300 years ago that, that this is normal. Like if you, if you know Shakespeare, I mean Richard III, right? If you're familiar with that story, Richard comes to the throne. And what does he do to his two nephews? He has them murdered because they were a threat to his throne. But we, we, in the Bible, God's not going to sugarcoat what we're... This is the world that the way the world is. It's dark and it's hard. And we just have to, to realize that God is the light in this dark world. But as, as we go through this, I just want to pull out some truths that I think we can find in this. Okay, so I, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to go home. Don't kill nobody when you go home, okay? It's, it's not bad, bad things. Don't do it. But we have to be able to deal with the difficult things in our lives. We need to remove the threats. Matthew says, uh, Jesus says this in the book of Matthew. It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. And Jesus is saying here, don't, he's not saying cut, out your, cut off your hand. He's saying you have to be radical with the things that are going to keep you from following me. You have to be radical with the things that are going to keep the, the, that kingdom of heaven 
that you are supposed to spread around this world, you have to be diligent about keeping those things at bay. You have to get rid of them. And the first one I say is it represents the things that Joab represents. It's those things that we make excuses for. Or it's those people that we make excuses for. No, it, no, no, really, it's, it's a, I, I can see the benefit of this. But every once in a while, it just rears its ugly head and it comes and causes chaos in our lives. Those, those, those wrong things that, that, that we think we have them covered, we have them taken care of, and every once in a while, boom, they just hit you again and, and just really cause your walk to stumble with him. And you're like, I thought that was taken care of, I thought that was done. And you let your guard down and it happens again. That's the Joabs. And you can make excuses for why it's, it's okay or it's not that big of a deal and why you're not dealing with it, but you really do need to deal with it. Those are the Joabs. Then you have the Shimeis. You ever been down in, in your walk before? Ever had a, a hard time in your life? And that something comes along and just knocks you down a little bit further? Knocks you down a little bit further? I like to call them my, my little pity parties sometimes. Oh, woe is me's. Does it take you down? You've got to be diligent about those things as well. Those shimmy eyes need to be taken care of. You can't let those things speak to you in those ways. You can't let those things that, that when you're down and that you, you can't allow them to knock you down further and further and further. You've got to take care of those. And finally, there's the Adonijahs. The Adonijahs, the, those things that you think you can trust but they're really kind of snakes. And the problem with it is, is that sometimes it can be ourselves. You know what Adonijah means in Hebrew? It means, my Lord is Yahweh. My Lord is God. But who was Adonijah's Lord, really? This is himself. He was the one who sat one of this. He was the one that was in control. He was the one that was going to do it. And by the end of this story... All three of those people have lost their lives. Solomon had them taken out because he knew that he was not going to be able to function as king if he was going to allow these things. But what does he do? What's the positive? What's the step that he takes to say, you know what, I, I can't just have negative, I've got to have positive. We need to look out for those Barzillais. Those things, those people, that stuff that when, we're, when, we, when we need to have that pick-me-up, it's those people who come alongside of us and say, I want to be there for you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to nourish you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to love you. It's, it's those things. It's our time. It's our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who help feed our soul and guide us and help us along those ways as we are trying to walk the walk that Jesus has for us to have. And I'm going to tell you one, one more story and we're going, to, we're going to take communion together. Just to, to illustrate, to, to give us an idea of what it means to be that kingdom, to allow Christ to establish his throne in our hearts so that we can be those people who make light in the world. Uh, I, back in the end of February, I started going to get, get my hair cut from, from uh, a new guy down, down the hill. And his name is Ryan. And uh, I just sat in his, you know, just random, sit down in his chair start getting my hair cut, and I see on his, his forearm here is a tattoo of an of a anchor. And he's got multiple tattoos, but that one really stood out to me, and he had a name on it. I'm saying, hey, that's, a, that's kind of pretty, pretty sweet tattoo. What is that all about? And he's like, well, my grandpa was in the Navy, 
And I never joined the Navy, and I really do regret now that, that I never joined the Navy, but, but I always wanted to honor my grandpa, so I got that tattoo, and I put his name on it just so I can always remember of, of the influence that he had on my life. I said, that's pretty awesome, man, because you know what? My grandparents were both in the Navy as well in World War II, and they were kind of my inspiration for when I did join the Navy. I joined because my grandpas were in the Navy, and like, that's awesome, man. And so we just start talking more a little bit, and I kind of ask him, you know, where he's from. He's like, well, I, 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 I grew up in this, this town in, in Washington called Muckleteo. Oh, yeah? I'm like, for real? He's like, yeah, it's right next to this a place called Everett. And I said, you know, I lived in Everett for nine years. And uh, I, lived on a, I, I lived off of a road called Muckleteo Speedway that, that led to, to Muckleteo. And I became a believer in, in Everett, Washington. And he's like, that's insane, man. I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty weird connection that, that we kind of got those things. And so we continue walking. And I'm like, hey, so, so, and he's like, but, but I didn't, like, live in, 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 in Muckleteo my entire life. Bef- after that, we moved in, my family moved down to Redding, California. I'm like, okay, Redding, California, huh? Yeah, I, I, I went to, I went to, I went to college in Redding, California. Yeah, uh, I, I lived there for, for three and a half years and, and, and went to school, and I had, uh, you know, a, a, a couple kids born in Redding, California, and, uh, and I went to a Shasta Bible College, is the college that I went to. And he's like, for real, Shasta? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, I knew some people who went to Shasta Bible College. Do you know Andrew Varner? I'm like, yeah, I know Andrew Varner. He's like one of my best friends. He's like, I love Andrew. We're such good friends. And do you know this person? Do you know this person? Do you know this person? I'm like, yeah, absolutely, I know these people. I'm like, how do you know these people? He's like, well, they, they, they went to the church that I was the worship pastor at in, uh, in a town called Palisado, right next to Reading. And that's, that's great, man. That's so funny. He's like, I'm, I'm like, so what are, you, what are you doing in Boise? Cutting hair. And he said, you know what? Um, the church that I was at really hurt me. And right now, I, I, I moved up to, to Boise, Idaho, just to kind of get away from it. I brought my family up here, and I'm, he's, I love cutting hair, so I decided I'm just going to start cutting hair. But I'm, I'm hurting right now because I'm hurting from my past church experience. And I don't know if you guys know my story very well or not, but I, were, I walked away from ministry for eight years because of a church in Redding, California that hurt me and burned me. And so that little haircut that I just went in there was an hour and a half long. And we just started pouring his guts out to me, just telling me how much he's struggling with his walk and with his faith and with church and everything like that. And I've continued to go back to have Ryan cut my hair. And I want to tell you something. Last month, Ryan was just hired as the worship pastor at Faith just a half mile down the road. Because, because, because not just me, but other people God just put into his life and began to begin this process of healing for him. And he still hurts. But he said, you know what? God has called me to this, this mission, and I need to be able to do that. And so now he's right, probably right now he's leading the song, closing out their, their, their message right now. Because that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be that light in this world. And as I ask the, the, the servers to come forward for communion, I want you to take your time during our time of celebration of communion. And I want you to think about maybe two things. One of them is, God, what is it those things that I need to take care of? What are those things that are kind of squashing that light that you have for me, that are keeping me from being able to walk with you? 
What is, the, what is it? Just one thing, just one thing, God, that I need to take care of. And secondly, what job did you give me, God? What purpose have you had me walk in? And how can I do that better? How can I do that better?